the time approximately? You are in the right place at the right time with 136 people who are very glad you're here. Well, I had trouble typing in my code number. It took three tries, but here I am. <laughs> okay. Hey, we've hit the recorder. I'm going to do a very brief intro. And um, we had Ashita had talked about you doing 15 minutes uh, and then 15 minutes of Q&A. Does that still work for you? Sure. And that the emphasis on uh, education? It is on education. You have an audience of right. largely of educators. And, um, and we'll get started. So I'm going to move here very quickly. So this is Seth. You can see him on your screen. Seth, they're seeing a picture of you and a picture of Lynchpin. And this interview series is sponsored by my employer, Illuminate, and the Central Social Network for Education. Coming up tomorrow, John Taylor Gatto, who is mentioned in Seth's book and the bibliography, should be 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Missed the show. The recordings are all up at futureofeducation.com, including Kamenetz, Anya Kamenetz, last week from DIYU, Education, Dr. Robert Epstein, Team 2.0, and lots of others that you can see on the I did start a bookdiscussions.com group for Lynch Discussions Network. Do look at, yes? Every four or six seconds, your voice drops out. Okay, there we go. Sorry about that. Thank you, Seth, because I wasn't looking at the chat. So if you missed any of that, uh, you probably saw the slides and you're in good shape. Uh, I did start a book group for Lynchpin and our own book discussions network. We've also started a Students 2.0 network, Jackie Gerstein, who's in the room, and Jenny Luca, for students to drive their own education, so students20.com. And then look for EduBloggerCon and OpenSourceCon, the two unconferences before the ISTE conference on Saturday, June 26th in Denver. We hope you'll consider coming to one of those. They're both free. And of course, our Global Education Conference, the free five-day, multiple language, multiple time zone conference in November. Um, plans are being made. We're going to skip the next two slides in the interest of hearing more from Seth. Seth, Thanks so much for being here today. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you guys for taking the time and for doing the hard work and important work of teaching our future. So would you like me to ask some questions, or do you just want to kind of launch into a discussion of education? Well, I, I, how about if I go for five minutes, and then if you have questions, I'll answer yours, and then we can take questions from the group. How's Perfect. That I, I'm humbled that uh, John Taylor Gatter is going to be here tomorrow or whenever it is going to be. Uh, he is going to go down in history as a hero in the way we think about education in our society. I was talking to Joel Klein, the chancellor of the New York City schools the other day, and he uh, told me something that I'm sure you've heard before, which is that 100 years ago, if you walked into a biology or a hospital or uh, almost any business in the world or any organization in the world 100 years ago, you wouldn't recognize it. It would be, it would smell different, it would look different, everything about it would be different. And if you walked into a school, the only difference are fluorescent lights. And the shift in the way our economy works, not shown up yet 
in school. And there are a lot of reasons for that, and we can talk about them if you like. But the essence of my message is this. School was invented and perfected for a very specific reason. Economically, we needed more factory workers. Factory workers, whether they work in a white-collar job or a blue-collar job, factory workers is a strange way for a human being to spend time. It's only 150 years old. Before 150 years ago, there were no factories to speak of. People lived very different lives without bosses on a different schedule. And we needed to train people to accept authority, to embrace compliance, to follow instructions, to do what they're told, and to fit in. The other thing we needed to train people to do, and we did it deliberately, is we needed to train people to consume. Because factories became very efficient, and if we didn't have enough people to buy stuff, we were going to be in trouble. And so school, this idea of putting a bunch of kids the same age in a room where they focus on two things, socially complying and fitting in and wearing the latest stuff from Abercrombie and being in a cycle where they associate buying stuff with success. And two, teaching them to comply was perfect for the world of the 1930s or even the 1960s. That if we had a shortage of people who could follow complicated instructions to work in our factories, this was the way to solve that problem. And right now, we are discovering that that age is over for a couple of reasons. The first is that if I can write down what you're supposed to do for a living, if I can put it down specifically, then I can find someone else to do it cheaper. I can get my uh, x-rays read in India for one quarter the price if all it is is about following instructions. There are drive-thrus in McDonald's where when you talk on the little microphone, your order isn't taken by the guy inside. The microphone connects to the Internet. The Internet connects to someone in South Dakota who's wearing a headset, who types in what you said. It goes back on the Internet to that place in California. Also, McDonald's can save 20 cents an hour. Go down the list. If we're looking for job security, we need to take jobs where we are being human, not being automatons following instructions. And the place we're going to learn how to do that, the thing that's going to fix our economy, is when we start teaching kids two things. One, how to solve interesting problems. And two, how to lead. And when I think about the school I went to, when I think about the school my kids go to, the amount of time they spend solving interesting problems and leading can be measured in minutes, not hours, per week. And I think that's a sin. And we're going to have to figure out how, without blowing up the system, because that's not going to happen, to start measuring what matters and pushing forward the things that are actually going to make a difference. That's okay. Thank you, and that's a great five-minute start. So Seth, it feels to me like there are uh, two core tensions in the book that relate to education. And, or at least as I read them, these two tensions kept coming out for me. And, and one was reform versus overhaul or, or starting over. And I'm, I'm kind of intrigued because I was at your New York session, and, and there were a couple of questions asked by people who said, hey, I'm in this particular environment, and they don't get it. What should I do? And I, and I felt like I heard you say, you need to leave and go somewhere else. 
and yet in the book there's this sense that there's that school is still the solution. Um, have you have you played with that at all? Have you thought about uh, the difference between kind of reform and you know radically abandoning the school system? Okay, well, if we're talking about a job, one of the things that's going on is a lot of bluffing. That the lizard brain, the resistance, as Steve Pressfield calls it, the voice in the back of your head that wants to play it safe, is busy bluffing you and saying, well, I have no choice but to fit in because that's all they'll let me do at work. And so I'm calling people's bluffs and saying more and more people who are desperate to do their art, to expose their talents, and to make a difference are either saying to their boss, I'm going to do it right here, right now. I dare you to fire me, and they won't get fired. Or two, they're leaving and doing it outside. But once your bluff is called, then you have to be honest with yourself about whether you're willing to do the work. It's different when we're talking about a massive publicly funded system like school, because it's not you that's bluffing. It's the kids that are in the system. If I thought that there was a reasonable way to replace it, I would be the first person to say, let's do that. I don't know a reasonable way to replace it. I think there's too many vested interests, too much inertia, too much status quo. Uh, you know, If we look at uh, something similar, the medical system, it took doctors 20 years to embrace the idea of washing their hands uh, before they helped a woman give birth, even though it was proven medically that it was killing kids to not wash their hands. You know, things like this change way too slowly. But what I do think we can do is that we can say there is a valid uh, civic benefit to having everyone in our country educated to a certain standard in terms of what they know. And then I think we say as parents, we have an obligation from 3 o'clock in the afternoon to 10 o'clock at night to homeschool our kids in addition to that. And to say, yeah, the school may teach you to fit in, and I'm going to be relentless in teaching you to stand out. And the school may teach you facts, and I'm going to be relentless in pushing you to solve problems. And it might be hard for a parent to rip out cable TV, and it might be tiring for the parent to spend all of dinner lobbying uh, challenging and interesting problems at their kids. And it might be uh, scary to go for a half hour walk every single night with your kids and talk to them about what they would do to fix healthcare or what they would do to make an iPad more interesting. But if parents don't care enough to do that, it's hard for me to see how we're going to outsource it. So the second tension I felt in the book was the tension between the few and the many. Um, and, and essentially what, what I heard was, don't worry about being valuable. There are going to be so few who will do this that you will really stand out as a linchpin. And yet at the same time, in schooling, we have this issue of scaling to address everyone. Uh, how can you imagine a system that actually allows everybody to be linchpin-oriented? Oh, absolutely. And I think we've all had teachers who have figured out how to do this. Um, you know, that, that when you have a teacher who punishes you for fitting in and rewards you for standing out, you start a cycle in that classroom where everyone starts to figure out a way that they can stand out. And that teacher may not uh, resonate with every single kid. And the problem, of course, is they have to do it while maintaining their no kid left behind test scores. 
And so, you know, I think that the no student left behind thing is one of the worst things we've ever done. That focusing obsessively on numbers and scores pushes teachers who want to please their superiors to sell out their real customer, which is the kid. But, you know, I've seen firsthand that a teacher who's willing to put in the effort and take the risk can impart in kids a chance to do things that stand out. And it can be uh, small things or big things. The key is the school, the principal, the board, whatever leverage we've got creates a culture where that kind of person is celebrated as opposed to celebrating the compliant behavior of the defensive left end on the football team, which I think is precisely the wrong message we want to send to our kids. So we're going to get to play with this. Uh, the discussion with Anya Kamenetz last week, if you didn't hear the recording, uh, um, I'm speaking to the audience now, w worth going back and listening to the discussion tomorrow with John Taylor Gatto, who, who actually left the system not feeling like the system could be improved. Certainly we're in a period of cultural negotiation trying to figure out uh, what's going on. And Seth, did we lose you? I heard a couple of beeps. Oh, good. No, oh, good. I'm not lost. I, but one thing I want to say before, we go to, before I go to questions is I've never seen a chat room as uh, fast moving as the one that these 215 <laughs> people are feeding chat into. And if you are in the chat and you didn't hear my instructions, um, go, ahead. Seth, go ahead. I'm going to say approximately 25% of what I'm seeing flash by are uh, lizard brain excuses for why this change is impossible. And um, I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it. I don't think it has anything to do with income. I don't think it has anything to do with taxes. I think that most of the people going to teaching do it with a good heart. And if we got out of our own way, we have enough time in the school day and we have enough resources to start a cycle that will let a significant percentage of kids start speaking up. And I think that the people who are here together with the people that they know can start sending a message to parents that say, stop asking me about test scores and stop focusing on how famous a college your kid gets into and let's start tracking and rewarding other things. And a simple example is, how powerful the shift three kids were able to make with YouTube. That before YouTube was there, the whole idea that an individual would make a video, the whole idea that we would measure views, the whole idea that things could go viral didn't exist. And just a few people added some leverage to a system and changed the way a 100-year-old media system was distributed. I think the same sorts of things are going to happen in school. But we're not going to get there by taking sides. We're going to get there by pointing toward a goal and celebrating anything that we do that gets us closer to it. So we are going to take questions. Uh, I will begin looking at the chat. If you're having trouble following the chat, go up to View Layouts and switch to the Wide Layout. It's a little easier to read the chat that way. So Seth, it's, it feels like we're at a moment in time where we're willing to talk about this, where the cultural negotiation is going to begin to take place. Would you describe your roadshow or your tour and, and the part you would like to play in that larger cultural conversation? Well, um, I just launched this yesterday. If you go to type Seth into Google, you'll find my blog. And there's 3,800 posts there for free. 
Um, and yesterday, I, two days ago, I posted about four cities I'm going to visit and then probably eight more after that, one a month. And the goal here for me is this. I've discovered that if you can persistently put ideas in front of people who trust you, sooner or later a nickel drops. Sooner or later people see the world differently. And it's that seeing, that flip that happens with a, a good optical illusion, that's my goal. And so I'm going to go to these cities and talk for just an hour and a half, but then spend the rest of the day doing Q&A because if you can ask it out loud, if you hear other people asking it out loud, if you start to understand that there are fellow travelers out there that want to see this change, you stop bluffing as much and you start actually making the change happen. And that's my goal. How do we do it earlier for more people? In school, uh, and I have a long experience of teaching and running a summer camp and uh, doing science stuff as well, is if you can get in front of a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, it's a lot easier to plant the seed than if you wait till someone's 40. Angela, I've given you the mic. If you'd like to turn your mic on and give us a question from the chat, please feel free to do so. Uh, Rochelala and Mark Hai, I'll give you the mic in just a second. Go ahead, Angela. All right. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. All right. Thanks, Seth. It's uh, great for you to be here. I, it, it's more of um, uh, a comment. Since reading Lynchpin, I've been taking Lynchpin into kindergarten and first grade classrooms, beginning every conversation I've had with students and teachers with your statement that stood out to me that changed me. You are a genius. The world needs your contribution. Seeing what dropping that nickel does to change the conversation, every lesson I've done for the last two months has transformed based on the entire shift in the mindset of two phases of knowing what your gifts, your talents, and your genius are, being responsible and humble about that with the responsibility to how is that going to affect our community, both to grow our community but also in selecting teams or tribes that will make our community better. In two conversations, five-year-olds get this, seven-year-olds get this. They start speaking different. They start labeling one another. I think your gift is perseverance. I think your gift is imagination. We're going to need Johnny on our team. And I've been collecting videos and conversations and I'm amazed at how quickly the culture of a community changes when you are recognized at the beginning of, of that conversation. So I guess my comment is to the chat room, there is a lot up against us. But with this one sentence, we can absolutely change this culture and this system. And I'm so grateful to um, have read Lynchpin um, and had a chance to, to try this out. So thank you, Seth. Wow. You, you totally made my day. I, let me explain what I mean by genius for those who haven't read the book yet. An act of genius has nothing to do with Albert Einstein or the laws of physics. An act of genius is solving a problem in a way it has never been solved before. And all these five-year-olds have done it. They have finger painted a finger painting in a way that has never been finger painted before. They have told a joke to an adult in a way that has never been told before. And then we burn it out of them because every time they try to commit an act of genius, we tell them they're breaking a rule or not fitting inside the lines. And so what you're doing, Angela, is fantastic. This idea of catching a kid doing something genius-like and celebrating it 
as opposed to making them sit in the back of the room. And it's not easy to manage a classroom of 33 geniuses. I understand that. But I'm not sure making it easy is the point. Seth, Mark High has asked several times, he doesn't have a microphone, but he's put it in the chat. Are you familiar with the edupunk movement, and do you think it's too extreme? Well, I'm clicking on the link you just posted in the chat. That's quite a photo of Jim Groom there on the Wikipedia page. Um, you know, I think that you know punk music doesn't scale, and the reason it doesn't scale is as soon as a hundred people start doing what I don't know Devo did or Talking Heads did, it stops being punk and starts being the mainstream. And I applaud this nature of saying, how do we tear it down and do it without a lecture? How do, you know, I got an email from someone yesterday who is not homeschooling their kids, they're non-schooling their kids. They are just providing resources and assets to their kids, setting expectations, letting the kids figure it out. And there's all sorts of techniques that one can use to throw out the status quo, to force the creative part of your brain to step up. And I would imagine in the right hands, edupunk can work beautifully. I'm also certain that if the college board gets involved and the school board gets involved and 100 parent committees get involved, it's not going to be edupunk anymore. It's just going to be nothing. So the challenge here is how do we break things into small enough groups with enough uh, unique voices that we experiment in an environment where until recently the mindset has been no experiments, just don't fail. The problem with that is it leads to almost always failing. And I guess what I'm pushing for here is let's fail 10% of the time. Let's figure out how we can spend 10% of the time in school doing what Google does with its engineers' times, experiments, uh, projects, uh, homegrown theater productions, banners, science projects that we don't know the answer to before we start them, uh, comedy skits that are uh, sometimes silly and not worth doing but teach a kid to stand up in front of everyone else in the classroom. You know, the things that we look for in a great employee, we should be challenging 12-year-olds to do because no one looks for an employee who can multiply fractions. So there is this kind of scary parallel between the world the students inhabit and the world the ones the world the teachers inhabit, and and you talk about the need to reward risk taking. Have you seen an example where a school actually does the same kind of rewarding of risk taking that you were trying to do in your company environment? Uh, yeah, probably not to the extreme, but several of the best schools I've been affiliated with seek out risk-taking teachers and celebrate them even when they fail. And this is the key. You can pretend you're in favor of risk-taking, but if you don't celebrate the failures, then you're not really in favor of risk-taking. You're just pretending. And so what that means is that at teacher meetings, the principal calls out someone who did something that didn't work and praises them, right? That they go out of their way not to praise the consistent, boring, by the book performers, because if you do that, you are sending a message to the teachers that that's the role model. Okay, Rachel Lala, <laughs> Rachel Lala, sorry. I'm going to give you the mic, and if you click on the larger microphone icon at the bottom of the participant window in the audio box, your mic should turn on. 
There you go. And your mic's not coming through, so you probably haven't tested your audio, so I'm, I'm afraid we're just going to have to pass on that. Okay, if you have another, I think we have time for a final question for Seth. Please feel free to raise your hand, and we can get Hi, Seth and audience. Thanks for everybody's time. This is great. Seth, um, my question uh, about becoming a linchpin is involved in the politics of it, whether it's in um, teaching or whether it's in commercial environments. It always boils down to the powers that be. And it's very, very hard to be different sometimes when you also have the responsibilities of raising a family and being part of the community that's funded by your own, basically by your own paycheck. So what advice can you give to people in education and in the commercial environment to balance practical reality of day-to-day -day living with being a little bit of a maverick at the same time? Well, I'm afraid you're not really going to like my answer. You know, if this is really important to you, if this is, uh, if, if the stake, stakes are high enough, then this idea of practical reality and being a little bit of a maverick will be rejected. That what you'll do is, and it's not for me to ask you to do this, I'm just saying that people who are succeeding are doing this, is you will downsize, you will cut your costs, you will take whatever risks are necessary to make an impact. And we see it in the art world, in the electronics world, and the internet world, and you should ask John tomorrow if it happens, happened for him in the education world. That when enough is at stake, People choose not to be a little bit of a maverick, but a lot of bit of a maverick. They become, you know, like Jaime was in Stand and Deliver. They go out on a limb. They get in trouble. They do things that other people are afraid to do. The magic that is happening right now in our economy and our society is those people are very, very rarely singled out and punished. We think we will be. That's the lizard brain talking. But in fact, we won't that if you are good at your art, if you are able to truly deliver, then while the system may grumble, the system will not expel you. And if the system does expel you, it didn't deserve you in the first place, and you can go and make an impact somewhere else. This isn't for everyone. Some people will say, no, my dad has Alzheimer's. I have to support him. I have to tow the company line. And I am not going to tell you you are wrong to do that. What I am saying is if we want real change, it's going to happen one principal, one teacher, one parent at a time. And they're going to do stuff that other people say is wacky or weird or wrong. Because if it was easy, it wouldn't be important. Seth, Maria's raised her hand. Do you have time for one more question, or would you like to close? Sure, no, that's fine. So Maria, I've given you the mic. Go ahead and click on, you know, you know the drill here. Click on the uh, large microphone button. Hi, Seth. Um, I like your books and your blog. Read it every time. I um, wanted to thank you. And the question is, so if several families want to get together and start a little learning group, just autodidact learning group for their kids and for themselves, what are the first few steps in your mind they should take if they don't know how to start? Um. Well, I had a little trouble hearing you, but I'm assuming, I think what you said is uh, about parents creating groups uh, to support what's happening and to encourage more of it within their 
families. Is that right. right? And Maria was asking, what are some first steps they can take as a small family group, a group of families? But I will tell you, a very, I'm going to give you a very simple practical example, and I've seen it work repeatedly. Start a father-daughter book club. Start a mother-son book club. Five kids, five parents, once a week. Getting together, reading something that would never be on the curriculum, reading something that's challenging, reading something um, that's inappropriate, reading something that leads to conversations. Five parents, five kids, once a week, unlimited cookies. And once the process starts, the entire nature of the conversations shift if you pick the right books and you read the right conversations. Because it's not about finding the right answer, it's about being a genius. Seth, was it you who mentioned reading One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? So, maybe it was you or John Taylor. I think it's John Taylor Gatto. Uh, it wasn't, but that's, 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 the kind of, that's the kind of book I'm talking about. Or even if they're younger kids, Captain Underpants. Right? I mean, the point is that if we teach people that if they can look into words and then have a provocative conversation that forces them to think about something where there is no right answer, then we are starting a cycle that is natural and likely to catch on. So I actually think that's in John Taylor Gatto's material. Um, so fun. We'll, we'll ask him about that tomorrow night. Seth, we, uh, we reached our committed time frame. Really great for you to come on. Uh, I think everybody appreciates it. I'm going to clap here for you. Um, Everyone else, feel free to, to do the same. Is there anything we can do for you, Seth? You can do what we're talking about. I need you to make a difference. We all need us to make a difference. And uh, be unreasonable about it, because it's important. Thank you, Seth, so very much. We're going to let Seth go. For those who would like to stay, you can uh, stick around and uh, participate in an online discussion right now for the next 15 or 20 minutes. You can also go to bookdiscussions.com and look for the Lynchpin group. Thank you, Seth. Have a great day. Thanks. It's my pleasure. Be well. Okay, well, that was sure a lot of fun. If you need to go, please just go. Don't worry about sticking around. But if you would like to stay, we'll spend a few more minutes talking about this. I can give you the microphone. Again, tomorrow night is John Taylor Gatto. Uh, and uh, that should be a lot of fun. I think it fits very well with this material. So, uh, Angela, would you like to take the mic? I would love to take the mic. I will never turn that down. What um, stood out to you guys? I just asked that in the chat room or questions. So if you'd like to respond, uh, you can do so in the chat, or you can raise your hand using the hand with the green up arrow and the microphone to respond. I, of course, made lots of notes that I didn't have time to go through here. Um, but I do think this is kind of intriguing because there's this tension between, I mean, Seth actually says in his book, you know, we need to train people to be more like linchpins. And I'm very curious because are we sort of in this middle ground here where we're still thinking in terms of training and teaching rather than self-directed learning? And, and does the material actually move us much more toward self-directed rather than training? Any thoughts or comments on that? Maria, you have the mic. Um, what really stood out to me is how Seth calls us on our fears. It's really uh, important to just challenge people and tell them you are afraid right now. Because a lot of what people say really stems from fears. 
and we have to realize what we are afraid of and face the fears. And then we will be more self-directed, as you say, I think. Well, and that comes out very well in the book, The Fear Issue. And it also comes out in the work from John Taylor Gatto about schools being a culture in which fear and shame become sort of the main source of power. And, and you know, it's very easy to kind of dive really deep into this and feel some, some real tension and awkwardness about uh, how we feel about schools. But, you know, as I read the book, it also occurred to me that this is largely in the environment for the educators as well. Does anybody want to comment on that? Vicki, I'm giving you the microphone. To turn your mic on, you click on the larger microphone icon in the audio area. I was just I was just doing something else when you called on me, so I, <laughs> I apologize for that. Uh, you know, it, I I found this extremely interesting. I'm going to go and get the book. I you, what I got was a notice from you at the last minute, and I was sitting here. I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to this, but it's it's a wonderful group, and everybody's interested in making a difference. And it, it yet when I hear people talk about book clubs. All they ever talk about is fiction and having kids read fiction. And I, I don't know if you know how much wonderful children's nonfiction there is for adults to read, even if they want to learn something new about a subject. And where is it written that every kid has to read the same material about the real world that they read in their formulated text? Uh, textbooks. And if you look at our blog, which is called Interesting Nonfiction for Kids, it just happens my blog post today is about this very subject. It's called Trying to Change the World. And it's, it seems that we have to keep, as, as Seth said, we have to keep coming and coming and coming until finally somebody gets it and, and picks up the ball and runs with it. But it doesn't seem to be happening. But I found this a very, very interesting group, a very lively group. I'm blown away by how many people are here. And um, I, I want to invite them to look at our, our website. It's called INK Ink Think Tank. Uh, Inkthinktank.com. I put it up a couple of times and see who's, who, the, some of the authors that we have and to see so many people that are all in their own way geniuses. They look at the real world and express it in an interesting way and it's fun to read these books. And that I will, I will get off my soapbox. So Vicky, feel free to put those links in again. Uh, okay. They flow I by. Thank okay. you. Teresa, Teresa, I've given you the mic. Click on that larger mic button to turn your mic on. And Teresa, you're looking for the larger microphone button in the audio area. There you go. There you go. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Oh, good. Hi, I'm Teresa Roebuck, and I'm the president of the Global Association for Teachers. And I just am so excited to have caught the tail end of this. I just got the email. I was checking my email. Oh, my God, I've got to get over there. Um, I was reading Seth's book, and when he talks about people taking risks, I totally agree with everything that he's talking about. I worked for the Arkansas Department of Education up to ago when I realized that I could not continue to just be a cog in that education. I and I did quit my job. I love my I love the work. I 
don't like the job, and I'm sure a lot of you appreciate that. Um, but I did. I took that risk, and I quit my job, good-paying, high, you know, high-status in a way job, because I wanted to empower teachers, not just impose. Created my association. I have managed to find ways to continue. Teresa, your audio is going in and out for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I've turn your volume, volume up on the microphone just a little. How's that? Much better. Much better. Okay. And I've, and I've managed to find ways to support my family, just like Seth's talking about. When this is important to you, when this is a passion to change the world and change the environment and change education, um, you find a way to do it. I, my husband just is disabled. He does not work. I have a 13-year-old daughter who I homeschool because I cannot put her in that machine environment in a public school any longer. Um, it's just you have to take the risk. And I'm hoping that everybody will be you know, willing to try to take some risks to empower themselves because that's what it amounts to. Being a linchpin means you have to empower yourself. So I'm hoping that people will join with me at the Association for Teacher Empowerment. Uh, that's at www.gate-connect.com. I've got some uh, good speakers coming up in the next month. I'd love to have some participants and some interest and some conversations started over there. But I did want to let people know I am now, you know, every day just creating the path to support my family and to continue to try to empower teachers because if we don't, if we don't keep our teachers teaching and we don't help students learn and become lifelong learners, then this country has got little or nothing to look forward to. We have to continue to educate our people in the way that empowers them. And Thank you. that's all I wanted to say. Thanks, Teresa. Interesting for me is the degree to which the advent of the web and participative technologies have really sort of jump-started this uh, interest in ACT in, in empowering and being involved. Um, and also, if you've read the book, uh, posting on a blog is shipping. So there's this very, in, and, all, and most of what our students and children are doing every day by actually publishing writing is shipping, which uh, leads to all kinds of interesting uh, ideas around the use of the web. Um, I think he also, Seth also calls out in the book, you know, sometimes it can't be your job, and maybe this is something you do passionately in the evening where you're a linchpin. Um, or, interestingly enough, you know, is this something you care enough about to actually lower your lifestyle in order to be able to make a living to do what you're passionate about? Teresa, I'm giving you the mic. Thank you. I I agree with you. I mean, I, I was actually fortunate enough that I have the skills that I can earn a living as a consultant. I teach online. I do professional development training for teachers because those are my skills and I'm I'm able to continue to earn money for my family in a way that didn't impact us too desperately. But I did have to just jump off that cliff knowing, not knowing that if I was going to be able to, to do it or not. And it is, it is a risk. It's a huge risk. But I think what Seth has realized and I have realized is that risk takers more often than not do succeed just because of the passion involved. Thank you, Teresa. Okay, Kimberly, I've given you the microphone. 
And Kimberly, I see your mic's turned on, but we're not hearing you. So maybe turn your mic off, go up to Tools, Audio, run the Audio Setup Wizard, and we'll be back. Bob, I've given you the mic. Sure, good morning. I don't know uh, how many of the rest of you out there are classroom teachers, but I'm actually uh, just about to run to someone's classroom here in about five minutes. Um, I'm just about to finish up with Seth's book. And uh, the, the question I always have in, in these type of uh, meetings is, well, what's the next step? What is everybody that's attending going to do? Uh, my personal plan is I'm going to take my copy of the book uh, to a couple of teachers that basically teach the same students and uh, see if they can work to um, encourage um, the, the identification in each student of their own genius uh, and just kind of see how that goes. So uh, the challenge I have for everyone that's here um, is to consider what your next step would be, those, especially those of either in the classroom. Um, yes, it, it makes you a fun maverick to try these things by yourself, uh, but team up at least with one other person and kind of see how it goes. You can kind of reflect off each other. Once two people start being seen as successful, um, then it, it really can start to spread. Um, I can tell you from personal experience, being an individual maverick uh, can, can be a little painful and sometimes damaging. Uh, but that's my recommendation to the group. Any, any comments, uh, come right in, please. Thank you, Bob. Uh, and if you'll notice on the upcoming um, interview list, Ted Coldery is going to talk about teachers as partners. And I keep being reminded of this in this period of time that we're in of the total quality movement in the 80s, where there was a desire to involve the employees to reshape and restructure the businesses. I feel like that may be a part of the key in education, is a willingness to allow the teachers to become active participants in reshaping. So hopefully we're doing a bit of that here. I'd like to call out a particular uh, area in which I have an interest. I really like Seth's work. And, and Seth is largely about the lecture. So I went to see him in New York. And it's not an interactive experience. There's Q&A, but it's not a highly interactive experience. And I'm very interested in activities that you can do that actually provide a, a view into the experience. So physical activities, what you call, would call experiential activities, that uh, would help to enlighten and teach and um, you know, provide some understanding of these principles. So I'm gathering a list. So if you're interested in this, please feel free to connect with me. And, and I'd like to have a list of you know, 15 or 20 exercises that could be done with educators in a setting that would help to bring these things out. Kimberly, are you ready for the mic again? If you are, feel free to turn your mic back on. Again, we're in the post show. So if you need to leave, feel free to leave. 10-minute trainer. Yeah, and I've, in fact, it was so funny to be interviewing uh, Robert Epstein, Epstein, Robert Epstein last week because he actually wrote a book of training games that I bought years ago. Um, so it feels like some of these things are kind of uh, all tying together and very neat. And last uh, week, Jackie Gerstein actually recommended a book that, that I downloaded, I haven't read yet. Jackie, feel free to shout out for that again if you're still in the room. OK, so just a couple more minutes. Uh, feel free to go. This is post-show. You don't have to stick around. But if you have a question or a comment, you're welcome to raise your hand using the hand with an up arrow or to put a question in the chat. And the recession is being recorded. And I'll post those recordings later. Full chat recording. You can look back at all the links. Don't worry about it. If for some reason you'd like to get that full set right now of the chat, 
comments, just go up to File, Save, and save the chat conversation. And Barbara, I don't know if you just came on, but I did use your interview with Seth as part of my preparation. Feel free to raise your hand and take the mic if you want to talk about that at all. You want to search for Barbara's interview. It's interview with Seth Godin about education and change. Go ahead, Gary. Well, I was just going to say, since you didn't have a host other than you for this session, I wanted uh, to give a big round of applause to Steve for for booking Seth for this session and for having a conversation with him. So great job, Steve. Thank you, Gary. That was really a lot of fun. I'm delighted he would do it. And I think it is a part of this larger conversation we're, we're having. And so if you do, if you like the material today, uh, do look at the recording of Anya Kamenetz last week from DIYU, uh, Jackie Gerstein on user-generated education, uh, Robert Epstein on Team 2.0, uh, and then tomorrow, John Taylor Gatto. Uh, lots of fun. And uh, I think well, this is a good time to sort of close this up, except Angela has one more comment, I think. You have the mic, Angela. Okay, Angela is just messing with the buttons. So thank you for being here today. If you, um, if you have further comments, please do go to bookdiscussions.com. Join the group for a linchpin. We can keep the conversation going. I uh, hope you'll come to futureofeducation.com. Do look at learncentral.org, the social network for educators that I run. They are the sponsor of the show and great network for educators that are baked into it activities. In order for the recording to process today, everyone actually has to leave the room. So if you haven't left in a couple of minutes, you'll notice that I kick you out. Don't feel badly. It's just to make sure that the process. Again, thanks for coming. Thanks to Seth. Thanks to Illuminate. Thanks also to C. Bloom Associates, who provide, have provided a small fund for book purchases, which has helped me quite a bit. Have a great day, everyone. Bye now.